Andy? Yeah, hello? What's up, dude? Hey, man. How you doing? How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. Yourself? What's new? Uh, you know, less than that. The other thing. <laughs> <laughs> all those, th- all three of those? Yep, yep. Damn, yo. And how about yourself? You know, I'm just chilling out in the backseat of my car, man. <laughs> This is, is my. Only, is that the only quiet place you can find? Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I have the um, the uh, so we live in a small apartment, and um, I could oh, I mean, there's bedrooms, and I could sort of hole away, but I feel like, you know, I just can't speak freely because it's not really that private. Um, though I'm sure my wife and daughter are not like standing by the door or anything, trying to listen in or anything. <laughs> But I still feel like, you know, it's like you could hear people going to and from the bathroom and it's cre- and it's an old it's an old house. So it's creaky floors and stuff. So not ideal for yeah podcast life. Yeah. So um, sometimes I go other different places. But right now I'm just in the backyard in the backseat of the car. I came out <laughs> a little early, turned the heat on. So now it's nice and toasty in here. And now I'm just chilling. Awesome. Is this your regular uh, podcasting uh, uh, location? Uh, I often do it in the car. Um, sometimes I do it after work um, because Dan has Wednesdays um, off. So Dan and I do regular podcasts where we just talk about like the overall business and how we're running it and stuff. Okay. And so – um, after work on a Wednesday, uh, I'll grab a conference room and just do it there. Um, and then, uh, and then so he also has typically has off on Sundays and we do a lot of our interviews on Sundays. Mm-hmm. So, um, but those, I'm just trying to think back the last bunch of interviews I did. Pretty sure I did them all in the car. Nice. <laughs> So yeah, so it's often it's often the case. Yeah, I'm actually considering next car is going to be like a van, like a cool old go. Chevy van, and oh, I'll make man. like, dude, is that awesome or what? Yeah, um, that reminds me of this uh, this group called Clown Core. Have you ever checked yeah. them out? Yes. Okay. So and, and you they, know that <laughs> they have a record called Van. Where... I do not know that. Oh, okay um yeah i'll have to send you a clip when we're when we're wrapped at this um but yeah essentially like they have just a series like it's a visual album i think it's called van and nine yeah the whole thing takes place in a van um and it's just those two guys you know wearing the ridiculous uh clown costumes um and the the drummer like plays keyboards with one hand and plays all this like techno stuff but like with analog kit and then there's um so he's in the back seat, obviously, <laughs> colonizing that. Right. And uh, there's just like, uh, and then the saxophone is, uh, player is sitting in the front. Um, but he's got like a, a two keyboard set up as well. And then there's the driver who's just wearing this like face mask as they're driving around somewhere in Bumble F, uh, California. Right. And making like just this, this, this beautiful racket, you know. <laughs> I've I've seen a couple of their sh- their videos 
I think there was one in a porta potty where they were like jammed into it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So same guys. Yeah, yeah. They're I mean, they are phenomenal musicians. Yeah. Um it's like kind of like an open secret that uh Lewis Cole. I don't know if you uh recognize that name. Yeah, you turned me on to Lewis Cole. Oh uh, yeah, of course. I, I, I basically there was that um There's yeah, there's just like one song that totally tripped me off that he was uh, it, uh again like he's he's got such a, a visual component to um and just his whole like vibe is like just nasty you know he's like yeah. a, he's like kind of like a modern day Stevie Wonder if you will yeah playing every single instrument like funky as all hell and just mm-hmm. just just has this like really quirky sense of humor that uh, um really. A cuts through the music, and then the visual aspect really just doubles down on all that. So, um, yeah, he's and he. I, I saw this one video of him like playing in his house, and then midway through, there's like a big band uh, that's re- revealed like in his living room, <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's like the funkiest, nastiest thing I've Wait, heard in quite some time. Is that the one where it starts at the top of the stairs and it sort of like whines? Boom! Boom! boom. Bing, bing, bing. Yeah, just him playing keyboards and and putting loops into Ableton like on a laptop in front of his face. You know? yeah, yeah, and then it, and then it goes down, and then it, like the camera goes, the camera starts moving through the house or something, and it goes down the stairs, and there's a full like funk band in the living room. Yeah, exactly. Like there's a yeah. big band. Like like there's got to be at least like a twenty or thirty some odd uh, 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 music school geeks like hanging out there. It's like oh my god, set up for the yeah, like stuff like that. It's just amazing. Um, yeah, that video bugged me out. I I want to say that maybe you probably shared that with me. I, I I like the second I saw that, I I think I shared it with at least twenty or thirty people for sure. <laughs> yeah, because I when I watched it, I was it it uh it definitely was like holy shit, these guys are just so good, and they're so good that they can essentially what seems to be like make these casual videos that are also captivating partially in by the, by virtue of the fact that they're so casual, but that they're so also so um, like off the cuff and casually virtuosic. It's like really <laughs> like, it's like super entertaining and actually frightening to a certain extent. Right. It's like, it, it, and it, you're like, it's not fair. Like, A, they're super talented, and, <laughs> and B, they're super creative, too, on top of everything. Right? Exactly. So it's like one thing to have, like, uh, virtuosic chops, but then to be, like, uh, uh, just this, like, clever, funny dude is, is just, uh, like, next level, right? So, yeah, yeah. Um, and he's kind of, he, like, he, like, his videos and stuff could easily be on Adult Swim. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but... Uh, yeah Cartoon network yeah so that he's definitely like a kid that was raised in on like 80s and 90s tv and and those tropes and he's still it's very uh very big in his overall aesthetic you know so everything's like kind of a little a little cheesy but in in like kind of like a, a fun nostalgic way if you will so, yeah yeah he's killing it man um, yeah his new his new record's actually pretty fantastic too so really yeah. Well, um, you know, I gotta dig in a little bit. Sure. I want to get yeah, into so he, music like that, actually. But he's more really so now. one one of those guys that's in clown court. He's like the the drummer or whatever. And like I said, it's not not like a. Oh, is he? 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's his style too. Like he plays um, high hats with his uh, left hand and plays snare with his right. Yeah. So that stuff like that is like pretty obvious. That's him. And he's, a, you know, the clown core guys are pretty scrawny dude. So um, can't imagine uh, <laughs> it's anyone else, right? And yeah. then the, the the saxophone player is this guy Sam Gendel, who uh, had collaborated with Lewis on many projects, and he's he's also in in that video that we were mentioning earlier. Yeah, I did. I think not the song know was that. like F F S up, you know, <laughs> keeping it PG for the listeners out there. Wait, oh oh, that's the name of the song. I think so. Yeah. 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 I think you know. I think we we always have like a a parent, like an advisory tag on ours. I yeah. actually just I curse, you know, like fairly, uh, you know, prodigiously. <laughs> so I don't really, I don't know if you need to really hold it in. Besides the fact yeah. that I, you know, like somewhere between five and fifteen people listen to this show. <laughs> I don't think you have to worry about it too much. Uh, I didn't want the FCC coming to knock on your door, you know. No, no. Also, it's a podcast, you know. Any you can. It's kind of like, um, you know, it's not radio where it's just like streaming. You know, you have to actually seek it out. Sure. So I wonder if there's different rules about it based on that. Probably. So, um, so let me. Can I do the intro real quick? Because I, I, I don't really do much editing. Uh, I will only like. Here's the way it works. If there's something that you, you know, you're just like, I can't believe I said that you got to edit that out, you know, then I'll edit it out. But, you know, I typically don't really even edit much. Um, but this is, um, this is the Get You Some Productions podcast episode 77. We are a podcast covering all things related to music production from the first note to the last fan and everything in between. We create music and inspire others to do the same. And my name is Keith. And our guest today is Andy Marcinkowski. Um, usually I'm on here with my partner, Dan, uh, but he couldn't make it. So, and Andy's a longtime friend and it's been too, actually, I'm sorry. Have you been on the show before? I feel like maybe you have one time. No? Uh, no, it's my first time. Holy cannoli. Okay. So then we're doing it. Um, usually, usually Dan <laughs> is here for the interview parts too. But um, but uh, he couldn't make it, so we're just gonna roll. Um, and and I'm actually sort of I don't know what you thought we were gonna do on this show today. Um, and so I was I know we talked about doing the book club, but I don't want to do the book club yet. Sure. Uh, I just want to actually just like kind of shoot the shit because even though as long as I've known you, I don't know your like story. You know, um, like how you got into music and like your early bands and stuff. I mean, I know like your collaboration with Justin. So, you know, but I thought, can we can we like shoot? Can we go over all that stuff and just have like kind of like an interview, like Andy's the star sort of show? Sure. Yeah, it's your show. You so you tell me what you want. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, yeah. So that's that's what I'd love to do because, frankly, I feel like. As long as we've known each other, I don't really like know your story, you know, that, that in depth. So like, let's, let's do that. So how did you get into music? Um, I think the gateway record for me, well, okay. So 
I think I was a big fan of like cheesy pop growing <laughs> up. I like just like a sucker for melody kind of thing. Um, I like how you say I think I was. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's okay. Just, We're all friends it, here, Andy. It brings me. It brings <laughs> me back. Like I think the first like, which is funny enough. Um, the first like musical uh, thing that I think I latched onto was like Good Vibrations by uh, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. Yeah, it's not the good good vibration. <laughs> not even the good good. Yeah. Vibration. Hey, that's okay. I like that one too. Actually, I like that type of stuff in the in those days. And it was just it was um, yeah it, it was just uh, I don't know the rhythm the catchy melody I think the the, the video was kind of like with I, I think the video was a reminiscent of CNC Music Factory it was like that kind of era you know all that Absolutely. stuff that was going on so but the real musical awakening I think was um, my my sister had a, a friend oh, so my sister was five years older than me so that always helps of like influencing you to to or tipping you off to like good music i think or, yeah. or just opening your eyes to different things um so my sister was like a junior senior it's probably a junior senior in, in high school and was was um she'd hitch a ride to school with a friend of hers who was um into all sorts of like uh grunge and and like heavier things that like I, my sister was like a new kids on the block fan until she was riding in the car with this girl um mm. And this girl played uh, Nirvana, Nevermind. Uh, and my sister came home with this, with that cassette. And I think I just ran that to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> so it was that, um, it was uh, what was Nine Inch Nails, Wish. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh, Wish. Like yeah, like really early on. Like, yeah, um, that's, a f- I, that's before the one that got really popular. I think that was, uh, yeah, I think it was after Pretty Hate Machine, but before the downward spiral. Oh, wait a minute. So, oh, but which one was the one with uh, Animal or whatever it's called? That was the downward spiral. So even before that. um, Yeah, it was before that. Yeah, I think March of the Pigs might have been on that record. No, I mean, I got it. I think Wish was a standout track. Um, But yeah, that, that like blue my mind you know um so those two records like just kind of tip me off into like going wow so the world's not just marky mark and the funny event <laughs> <laughs> and then like i think green day dookie was another one of those records that kind of came out that was uh you know the the mid 90s ultimately 1994 was like my musical awakening i think you know yeah um there wasn't and... anything like 19 th- those mid 90s were cr- they, i don't think we real we didn't we definitely didn't. Re- well, me, I didn't realize at the time what a revolution, what a musical revolution was happening in the early '90s. But looking back, I'm I I think, and a lot of people have said this that it was basically like, you know, probably one of the most fruitful, you know, creative times in music. Sure. I think a lot of music revolutions in quotations is usually like a, um, a reaction to things that are going on. And uh, I mean, this is said countless times in all sorts of uh, music historians uh, 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 <laughs> uh, writings and whatnot that like the 90s were backlash to all the hair metal that was going on and all mm-hmm. the like 
being macho and like this like over sexualization of things and and just this this really just i don't know larger than life thing that and it was like the 90s were like more humbling if you will like with the getting back down to the basics of like nirvana at at, at, at its core sure you know kurt screaming and all that stuff but there's like a certain nursery rhyme elementary kind of nature to it that it just it just hooks it's good really great catchy hooks that that's that's it you know it's like it's just the same thing as the beatles or any of that like bubblegum pop from the 60s or anything like that there's you know but it's stripped of a lot of the the kind of flashiness of like all that 80s hair metal stuff that was going on and like mm-hmm. pompousness if you will um mm-hmm. and it just it kind of felt real and i think it there's probably like a bit of like uh like a mythical nature to like the 80s hair metal stuff and the 90s kind of brought it back home to people's bedrooms and stuff you know that it's like oh i've got a six string in my sitting in my closet i can be a superstar too you know it wasn't like this like unattainable uh uh super status celebrity you know thing yeah i agree i think that the 80s the hair metal was more it was just not as relatable like the bands themselves were not relatable in in a lot of ways and it's what they weren't you know it was still pop in a lot of ways also like it it wasn't it was vapid you know maybe that's what it was yeah yeah yeah, Yeah. you're right because it seems like you know pop song is a pop song if it sticks in your head then that's the mark of a good pop song to my right. You know, it's doing doing its, its I, job. I'm I'm actually laughing because um well not I, I'm it's 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 kind of like funny that um kids now my daughter is 11 and kids and her friends got into Nirvana and she got into Nirvana and my daughter now has a Gen X English teacher who's making them read a book that takes place in the nineties. And so she's learning all about the nineties and she, um, and she knows the nevermind album. Well, cause we listened to it a lot. She went through a fa- like a hardcore Nirvana phase and we listened to never, nevermind a lot. I listened to nevermind more in the last two years than I did in the nineties. <laughs> and I can, the, just like, cause I love this song so much but drain you mm, yeah and when he's saying stuff like the lyrics are so bonkers it's like chew the chew the meat and spit it into my mouth and that's how much i love you and all this it's like the most i don't know like there was something about the night anyway it just made me think about the the 90s and there was something so irreverent about the 90s and it almost like they were, I think feel like a lot of people were testing the boundaries of what was normal, like considered normal. Um, but in a different way, like I guess I, now that you're now that you've met, you brought up hair metal, I think hair metal people tested the boundaries of what was considered normal because there was a lot of. Um, it was it was flashy and flamboyant, so there was a boundary testing element to it. But I, but the grunge era went the other way, you know, they were like tested the boundaries in a, in a very different 
in a in a more visceral way or so i don't even know what i'm trying to say but it was to me it was cooler you know objectively cooler not that i don't like i love hair metal but there's definitely something cooler about it you know like something more real and less put on maybe i think yeah i think you're hitting on that um yeah i mean the hair metal scene seemed more um like the jocks and the cool kids were about that. And then like the nineties were like, Oh, okay. The, the, uh, the outcasts and the freaks and weirdos and whatnot, they, they were kind of coming, coming mm-hmm. to the surface a bit more and, yeah. and they took the limelight. Um, but then, you know, eventually that, that gets commodified and then turned into hot topic, uh, t-shirts and stuff. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, like any, any, any kind of like, uh, uh, era and genre and whatnot it just it kind of starts uh the second you start putting a lot of dollar signs behind it uh becomes all right well moving on for the next thing you know so yeah i i i i guess i i agree but even no matter how much you try to commoditize that that look i don't think it'll ever be more than fringe you know Mm, just because it's just so weird you know that it's like it's it would be even though like it get they got their own store and a few of them now like it's more than just spencer's and hot topic um now there's another one i, I can't remember what it's called um just because my daughter's 11 i end up at the mall and um <laughs> i go to i've i noticed there is another store that popped up that is sort of celebrating like a little bit of a weirdo culture i guess but the vast majority of stores are mainstream, you know? Sure. Yeah. And um, I think a lot of those like, uh, uh, 90, like the, the wait, Oh, nineties awakenings are kind of like cycling back in an even greater, um, efficacy now, you know? So yeah. And if you're like, you're saying your daughter, like, so what it's been almost, almost 30, about 30 years. So it's, uh, yeah, it's all cycling yeah. back. That's what happens. That's exactly what happens. Isn't that weird? It's like her listening to Nirvana is like us listening to Led Zeppelin. It's not, yeah, exactly. you know, it's like yeah. pretty much, it's like a comparable amount of time that had passed. Mm-hmm. So, so, so wait, so you were, so, so you, you took the, you took the journey, right? You, you were, you were into pop and so was I, no shame in that. And I still, I actually love pop still. Right. And I know you do. Um, but um, and then you you moved over to grunge, which was all of our, you know, like not not just grunge, but like just more like rock um, and more like meaningful. I guess I, don't, I hate to put a label on it, but I guess. Yes. Yeah. Things were a little more substance and that wasn't just like kind of like a a, a music meat factory, as I like to call it. Like, pop, yeah, that's it. that is pop music. Right. Um, so that coupled with well, one other thing. So um I used to spend my my summers upstate uh, in uh, a town, a little town called Glens Bay, mm. um, and we used to go back and forth. And my dad always had these like awesome uh, Andy's awesome mixtapes, if you will. My dad's also named Andy. Um, oh, so he would have um, like the Andy's awesome mixtapes from wow, but like stuff like the, all these like psychedelic records from the sixties and uh, Moody blues and King Crimson and, 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 and,
like as I was, he, I think he put, always played them, but it was only after like listening to some of this grunge stuff that I think I had greater appreciation and started dialing into that. Um, because, and this was basically around the same time. I mean, it was like 12 or 13, I think, was, was my whole like musical awakening. So listening to Nevermind, um, then listening to my dad's uh, tapes and then playing guitar, like start, just starting to learn to play guitar, all this kind of coincided of like a musical awakening. And it wasn't like, like Nirvana probably, it was probably a good two years that it was like totally Nirvana obsessed and grunge and whatnot. Um, but I got bored of bar chords, you know, and that, that was bad. Not that it was bad, but it was like, just, okay, musically, I, I, I'm trying to progress. So that brought me into listening to things that were probably a little more adventurous and a little more technical. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that brought me to like, <clears throat> as I'm learning my instrument, it's like, okay, you want to become more proficient. So you should probably listen to stuff that was a little more proficient. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So that was probably the like the King Crimson Tool Santana turn from you know the, the grunge thing, and then mm. diving back and kind of having more of appreciation. Not so much like progressive rock, but like things that just had a little maybe a little more notes and substance, but wasn't like flashy. You know, like everything always like served the music, and it wasn't just because you know I'm a, I'm a sick guitar player, so hear me shred. You know. I, mm -hmm. I, I was never one of those guys that really uh, enjoyed that, you know. Uh, I always like it when it's done like tastefully or for the music's sake, mm -hmm. uh, you know. And and also effects. So like getting into players that uh, could make their guitar sound not like a guitar. Mm. Uh, funny enough, so Robert Fripp was like a huge influence on me. Mm. Um, do you watch? A, do you watch his stuff now? Do you like so still wacky. follow him? Oh yeah, <laughs> he's no, such a I, goof, man. I am. I just, love that guy. So I, I'm a I'm a pretty big King Crimson fan. Like I, I, I there was a book that he put out, like not him, but um, from his estate, if you will, that he signed off on. Uh, so I just read that King Crimson book. Cool. Um, they just have a documentary that came out too. So like, oh, I, I, I want to see that. That's cool pretty clued into him and his overall like ethos so he was always like this really dead serious dude like sat on, on, a, on a stool in the corner of, of the of the stage and um like there's what's the like way of phrasing it there was like some like not monastic but like 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 super high focused um yeah like complete bodily uh, 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 energy put into like into his playing. Yeah. Meaning, meaning like, so like his, his face is just like, there's, there's like a meditative like quality while he's playing. Like you can, it, like he permeates that, you know, um, mm -hmm. like he's playing the most like technical thing, but you never see his face like really grimace. You never see his body like be tense or whatnot, or really like show much emotion in it. And it's it's like all his being is being put into his hands and just like not thinking about what he's playing in in, in that like Zen meditative like I am in the music, you know, kind of vibe. And yeah. I, that really that really resonated with me of like seeing him play and his overall vibe. And so now to see him with his wife Toya doing these wacky Sunday lunches. Uh, and having fun with it is, is just like a complete 180 because like I said he was always just like stodgy old British dude that like 
like I said, didn't really show much emotion when playing. And now he's really having a lot of fun with it and just doing whatever he wants. To That's do. hilarious. I, I never yeah. even knew, I didn't know that about him in terms of his, his persona inside of King Crimson. I, I know the King Crimson music, but I don't, but, but all I know of his personality is what I see now. So oh, yeah, that's, yeah. King, that's interesting for you to say. Yeah, like he, he um, like King Crimson to him was probably like a, a, a one part of a cult as well, you know, because <laughs> he was always into like this mysticism and that the uh, King Crimson is bigger than just just the players there, you know, um, it's, it's a, it's a, I think he said it was like a manner of doing things, you know, which mm. basically always kept every, like everybody who was in the van, like if, like when you read this book, um, uh, was just like terrified because yeah, <laughs> yeah like Bill Bruford, he's he listened, he listen, watch, watch videos of, of Bill Bruford talk about, uh, who's a, who's a drummer for King Crimson and fantastic. He was a drummer for yes as well, but he's like, um, you know, yes, everybody uh, is such a different animal. He's like, yes, you know, it was like a, not so much like, like uh, not collaborative, but uh, it, it, you know the part to expect, or 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 the part that's supposed to be behind like the uh, the music, um, all like kind of made sense and was the most obvious thing. And King Crimson was like, you anything you knew about music had to be thrown out. And he's like, we're starting from scratch all the time for every new song and a unique approach. And if you played the same old, uh, you'd get a, a, a discerning look from Robert Fripp because <laughs> he was essentially, it, it's all Fripp the whole time. Um, but again, it, it's, it was the collective of music, of musicians that you can never, that, uh, that can never really pin down and say like, this is the formative King Crimson. It's just, I didn't Constant know evolution that. Of the music. Yeah, he, he's he's really like a fascinating uh, guitar player, and that's a lot of depth, or a fascinating musician, you know, just in general. Um, I was yeah, watching was like, a um of an instructional video of his because I watched a lot of his. I I sort of know just um like sort of uh I I've been exposed to his, some of his guitar concepts. Like I know that he tunes his guitar different differently. And so, I'm aware that he takes a, just an unconventional approach, let's say, sure. to the guitar. But then I watched one of his guitar lessons. I was expecting, despite the fact that I know that he's unconventional, I still don't know that much about him. So I was, I, just, I was like, oh, I was, I guess, scrolling YouTube, and I, there was a guitar lesson, and he was like, oh, this is like a pattern that I practice, and it cracked me up because it was a pattern that he was playing on the guitar that was completely like a mathematical comp pattern. And it was not at all musical and it sounded completely <laughs> random. <laughs> and he was like, this is what I, he's like, this is really good to practice. I practice this every day. And it sounded just like, I don't know, like just like kind of like random bleeps and bloops and like, you know, and it was like, what the hell is it? Like, how am I supposed to make any sense of this? This is not even this is what you call a guitar lesson. But then that sort of like it was sort of like my peek through the keyhole a little bit. It was like, what the hell is this guy doing? Like how, first of all, who does he expect to be tuning in to play this? And then 
practicing this thing that's so unmusical to what end you know yeah. like people who want to learn the guitar want to learn you know something that's going to sound good in like a band context and there's literally nobody playing something that would go with what he's playing right now <laughs> you know <laughs> it's like except maybe in a king crimson song that i'm not aware of you know yeah he's very much about um breaking patterns and um like challenging challenging yourself in in many different ways beyond just like your technical ability if you will you know and kind mm-hmm. of again like not not breaking because it's so easy for i uh to just kind of fall in like oh okay i'll play the first thing that comes to mind and it's yeah sure it sounds good but uh have you explored options a through z you know right um yeah and he's like you've been but maybe for him it'd be like oh you've already explored options a through z now you have to start with a prime through z prime you know <laughs> yeah right exactly so like you that, haven't that, taken it to the next level yeah and he's a big fan of like the like just patterns of like where his hands are lying not necessarily like if the notes sound good or not <laughs> right know? um i think he's he's there's something there with that as well um and he's a big fan of the whole tone scale as well. So that, that like kind of oh. lends itself to sounding a little more exotic. To the... Yeah. Well, there's no start and finish to the whole tones, whole tone scale. So you could just, right. you play it up it and it'll, it's almost like you're just keep going, you know? Yeah. Right. Exactly. So, cause... I don't yeah, mind he... that, but I, I, do you know, there used to be that little pocketbook, like the pocketbook of guitar exercises and it was like finger patterns. Yeah. Right. And, you know, like 10, 20 years ago, I thought that was the best idea on earth. Like, oh yeah, you just have to practice every finger pattern and then you can play anything, you know, but that's like, I only realize now how wrong that is, you know, <laughs> not to take anything away from, from Robert Fripp. I mean, he, he like had a successful band that's, you know, not just successful, but in a way like celebrated, you know, like renowned, mm-hmm. you know, like there's more to it than just, you know, uh, I can't even compare it to anything. It's not like he's highly respected in, in, in musical circles. So I'm not taking anything away from him, but, um, my experience with that type of like thinking is that, I don't know, uh, maybe I'm just too closed minded. <laughs> maybe I don't like see the light, you know? Well, there's definitely certain things that he's, he's played on or, um, uh, or that that like he's written that art it's like challenging to listen to <laughs> you know like yeah. like it's it's not passive listening there are certain things that he does like because then there's also the flip side he does all these like uh frippertronics was a big thing that he was doing where just these long drony um like it sounds like celestial music that's the only way to really put it uh-huh. um and he was basically using a lot of tape loops and always on the cutting edge of technology too. Like this guy was using um, these like studio processors, uh, these Eventide H three thousands for like chorus and and tremendous like crazy delays that just like have infinite loop and repeat or mm. um, just like a really sophisticated uh, uh, delay technology um, mm. to create these like huge uh, engulfing sonic soundscapes that were just supposed to be yeah like transcendent music if you will you know mm-hmm. so sure he can play play like the dickens and play all this fast like technical stuff and and you know all these crazy lines and leads and stuff but there's also that side of him where he's just sustaining a note for two minutes you know <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, hey, so, and sorry to keep this going, but I, there's one thing that I do. I always ask everyone who talks about King Crimson yeah. the same question. Because one of my favorite needle drops in a movie is Buffalo 66. Have you seen that movie? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know oh, the Yes, the yes there, song. Oh, is that Heart a Yes the, song? Yeah, Heart of the Sunrise. Oh, yep. shit. That means, guess what? I've been misquoting it for like... <laughs> oh, for... there's also... Okay. So the main... Th- there is a King Crimson song. The... the um. Who's the lead character, or not the lead, the, the female lead in Buffalo 66? Christina Ricci. Her Christina Ricci, yeah. Moonchild, when they're at the bowling lane, she's doing like a little dance step and whatnot. Yeah. Like a little dance scene. Um, that's a King Crimson song. What song was that? Wait, a so, moon, oh. Moonchild, but it was it was like more of like a softer number, you know, like very oh. soft and like. But the the main that driving that's heart of the sunrise. That's a yes Wait, song. What no, and what I'm talking about the scene when he's in the strip club. Yeah, so that very fast like bing, 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 that yeah. kind of thing. That, yeah, yeah, that that's heart of the sunrise. But yes. Oh my god, I'm such a fool. But Bill Fruit, Bill Buford played drums on there, so that's your. <laughs> Link to King Crimson. There's my link. Yeah. <laughs> uh, good. Then you know what? Guess what? This podcast just served a purpose for me in that you just <laughs> you just educated me, <laughs> which is I'm very grateful for. Now I can now I could live the rest of my life in peace. So let's well, get. Now, what's now that? You can go back and correct. Uh, you know everybody you've told that oh, I love that King Crimson song. <laughs> well, you know, here's the problem. Yeah, I I can't even remember who I've told. I don't know who. I've been probably many people. Sure. So this is like I have possibly said a said. I I probably have 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 affected the course of humanity in some small way by spreading this misinformation. And I think I may have. I don't know. Hopefully, it was one of those happy accidents where everything gets better. But if I have doomed the human race, then I apologize. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, that one person that bet their newborn that, uh, you know, that was a King Crimson song. (laughs) So, um, keep telling me, um, uh, I actually want to get like, we actually, we love to go on, we love to talk about uh, gear on this podcast. So, and and I just want to clarify something. When exactly did you start playing guitar? Uh, so I was 12 years old where I got mm-hmm. my first guitar. Um, what was your first guitar? So I, I remember looking through the pages. I think it was like Musician's Friend. Yep. I um, love that. Yeah. So there was a catalog and I, I would like look at all these like cool looking things and whatnot. And um, I, I was looking for something that was like, sure, you love the, the, the ridiculous multi-thousand dollar Les Pauls and stuff. But um I got this super strap, this Charvel CX290, hmm. which essentially was just looked like a strap, but like deeper cutaways. Um, and mm-hmm. the fretboard was like one of those metal fretboards, like where it's super flat, a very thin neck. Um, and then it had a humbucker in the bridge position. Yep. And that I think that totally 
two single coils and then a, a humbucker in the bridge position. And that kind of forever implanted in my brain, like a humbucker in the bridge position. <laughs> <laughs> like I have, and now I'm a, a Gibson Les Paul guy, like beloved Gibson Les Paul. Um, I, at some day, you know, down the road, I'd love to get a Telecaster, but I yep. still, I don't know. Humbucker in the bridge is just it for me. Uh, oh. And then a oh, yeah. single single coil in the neck is like those two combinations are, are cats me out for me. You know, I don't blame you. I think it is a magical combination because of the you get that single coil. The if you can if you have the single coil, but it's not even just a single coil, but you have that like throatiness in the in the neck position. If you can get that. But then when you cl- flip to the, the – I hope I'm not miss. I, mean, I hope I haven't flipped in my mind. But what I was just saying was in the neck position, you have the throatiness. Like you have that nice, warm um, single coil sound, but with the depth, with that little extra depth that sometimes you get. But then when you switch to the, the bridge and then you just – it just rips when you have your distortion on. Yeah. That is yeah. like amazing. I love that. You know, I always think about this, but you know, um, slash slashes sound on some of the. I think just even just the main riff of "Sweet Child of Mine," and then some of the solos has that that throatiness, that sound. And but it is, I, I mean, I'm sure I know it's a. It's not a Les Paul actually. It's because it's it wasn't a real Les Paul. It was like a copy. Mm-hmm. But it's still a Les Paul with a with a um with with two humbuckers, so so he got that sound somehow. Unless we don't know something, <laughs> unless they're lying to us, you know. Yeah, and he didn't play yeah. that guitar on that ri- that particular riff. Uh, yeah, I, I think you're right though. I think it, yeah, but just slash to me seems like ninety uh, percent uh, Les Paul, and I'd be surprised if he's playing anything else in this. I've never uh, seen him play anything with single coils. But it, again, I think it, I think you're right in the assumption that it's probably like any of the stuff that was like kind of uh, um, not as biting and maybe a little warmer, probably like your your neck position solos, right? Or, or right. Lead. And then yeah, when you're we're playing your rhythm or you want something a little more biting, then then you pop down to your bridge and that's where you're getting that, you know? Yeah, and I'm sorry for the tangent, but it just occurred to me, maybe he had it on a coctois position too where he was getting a little bit of that throatiness, but, yeah, but it was right. still the, the humbucker. I, it's funny that you bring up a Telecaster. So actually, do you still have that, that shredder guitar, the Charvel? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. The CX 290. Yeah. I yeah. put, um, I put stickers all over it and I, I broke bike reflectors and glued it onto there. Which nice. is like a ter- it was a terrible idea because if, uh, you know, you're playing aggressively or anything like that, um, the, the, it wasn't like really shaved down so well so um it was sharp it would cut you <laughs> yeah, yeah I got cut <laughs> that's a bummer um but yeah like that so i still have that one uh that's uh yeah i i i i, I can't ever foresee selling hell no like once i have them it's just like okay <laughs> you're going especially the like everything has like a, a time and place and some nostalgia like oh then going back to the, um, you know, me, a testament to how big of a not, like Nirvana freak I was, 
Um, like I, I got the Fender Jagstang, that combination uh, uh, that Kurt Cobain designed, which is basically like a pseudo Jaguar Mustang bastard. Uh. Um, and that had that, that exact combination that, that I was uh, mentioning earlier, the, the single coil in the, at the neck and then the bridge was um, a humbucker. Uh, and I, what, what was good about that guitar? Um, that's kind of like, like as close an approximation to like the telly kind of vibe, you know? Um, I would say, yeah, it is. It's an approximation for sure. But, uh, yeah, but the the thing, like, uh, I, I got a Les Paul a couple of years after that. Um, and the, different like it, it makes that j- makes a jag thing seem like a toy you know it's like just like, <laughs> like some fisher price thing uh like it's just i don't know i, I think it's a, i think it's japanese made but like the, the the bridge is like if you look at it funny it goes out of tune uh um, oh, that's a shame it doesn't it and it's very very mid-rangey uh i, I don't know like i listening back like the stuff that i had recorded with that guitar i was like hmm Uh. (laughs) but it looks rad right so it's got that like seafoam green kind of uh uh sonic blue i think was the name of the the color but yeah it's it's like a teal seafoam green kind of vibe and um yeah it just looks badass but uh yeah it it has its places like like i said that that single coil neck thing still sounds good and um well tom morello probably is another one of those guys that uh i really envied um Oh yeah, because his use of effects pedals and again making his guitar sound anything like but but a guitar, you know. Yep. Um, that was phenomenal, and that he really abused that like, uh, shut like the pickup selector a uh, trick where like you turn down uh the volume for uh one pickup. Yep. And you do that stutter thing like he like I broke my Jagstang's little toggle switches to death like a, at least 30 <laughs> times because trying to ape that you know like they had these really inefficient uh and really like um n- not ergonomic switches that were like on top of the pickups uh so like wait, wait but did the jags thing did, did it have like a regular selector like the toggle no, type no so on top of each pickup like that uh on the top of the body there were these the three-way selectors right oh uh, yeah so, so in, the, in the middle position was off uh and then you could put them on uh either way either going to the left or right uh but it had a coil tap so you can get basically like two single coil pickup oh. sounds and that that was actually one of those things that was good for like recording and textures and stuff, you know. Like yeah. If you really want to like kind of more like a lo-fi like jangly sound, that worked. Yep. Um, but yeah, so like I would basically like shut off one pickup and then I would get that mid middle midpoint, uh, and then I'd be able to do that like Tom Morello stutter thing and. Yeah. You know, like I said, I I, I broke that thing at least. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but it's not an easy those little switches i remember those switches they're they're not easy to go back and forth like a toggle is yeah yeah right it's it's like sets in there so but what happened was that like um there's a little like uh click point like a set point and yeah uh, so once once i figured out how to break that it was a lot easier <laughs> oh so you broke the set point 
on like on purpose to basically get a little more fluid to go you know oh my god but then it probably fell did it well the middle was off right yeah exactly yeah yeah so if it was just down all the time then then it would just be on but was that must have been then you but so like i don't even well i'm just imagining that it might have been like if you're just playing on stage and you have it in the up position but you've broken the set point well it wasn't then, it wasn't it's not up or down it, it's side to side so it's like a horizontal switch oh for each, for each pickup so each pickup has that on top of it right yeah you know actually i forgot yeah so i'm trying to picture it in my mind but i, I can't quite picture i know the types of switches but i couldn't remember how they were arranged on the body yeah, that, and that, that's a throwback to, like, yeah, the Mustangs and, and uh, uh, Jaguars and stuff that just had switches all over the place. Right? A super inefficient way to, like, switch. Yeah, you know? right, exactly. Just that's not – I mean, it's like – that's the type of thing, like you said, it's great for recording because you're just going to set a sound. But if you're going to switch sounds mid-song or, like, during a show at all, it's fraught with, you know, just, like – pitfalls <laughs> you know yeah yeah absolutely yeah. yeah um but yeah tom morell was another big guy um and the pedal stuff and you know for the longest time uh trying to get all these exotic sounds that it sound anything but guitar you know yeah that that, that was fun um, what, but at the what same about time, the dude from uh from um radiohead I, you were a big radiohead fan right Oh yeah, yeah. That uh, OK computer hit me like a ton of bricks. Yeah, but he was another big influence too, Johnny Greenwood. Yeah, um, Greenwood. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't remember his name. He has a st- signature Strat, and I think it has like a bazillion pickups. Have you seen it? Well, I don't think I did. No, I gotta <laughs> check that out. I think I hope I'm remembering the right one, but it's like the all the space between the bridge and the neck is filled with pickups. Jeez. <laughs> it's like all. I wonder if that affects the magnetism, affects the string vibration. I don't know. Anyway. Oh, actually, one of them is a sustainer. I, that's, I'm pretty sure. Which is like, so like the pickup itself turns into essentially an Ebo. Right, yeah. Um, and just makes the strings ring while the other pickup, like another pickup is turned on to pick up the sound. Yeah, I think Fernandez was one of those companies that, that like. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, had that like as a standard feature on some of the guitar the sustainer the sustainer yeah now that you mentioned i think you're right yeah um yeah johnny green was definitely another um another big influence uh because he he's he's one of those like uh, like an understated guitarist where um like he's not gonna He's he's got so much musical depth and knowledge that the guitar is just kind of another. Um, it's just like a means to an end. It's not like he's like some tremendous like tremendous virtu- virtuoso. You know, like I remember people mm-hmm. were putting best guitar solo of the year and like Paranoid Android was that was on there, and it was like okay, yeah, it's it's, it's appropriate and it's it's manic, but it's not like not really. <laughs> like earth shattering virtuosity, you know what I mean? Like it was just like it, it, it was kind of like the, like a Kurt Cobain solo where it, all the right notes at the right time or the right noises, if you will, you know, but not necessarily like anything that uh, that's going to take you're going to lose sleep over trying to figure out, you know. <laughs> I agree. I, I actually think it's kind of funny. It's one of those things like where those those guitar solo lists 
typically are saved for, um, you know, guitar virtuosity of some respect. And, and they usually don't place those tasteful solos in there or they, if they do, it's, you know, they don't really score like there might be one in the top five or top 10 just, and it's almost like a nod to, to just say like, Oh yeah, we're not just like, you know, like this rag of a magazine that's just pandering to like, you know, um, like guitar masturbation, but, um, (laughs) but you know, but, but on the, by the same token, and I, and I feel like that's the thing about those lists is that, yeah, but everybody knows that those lists are for that, you know, they're not for those tasteful guitar solos, you know, like the, the year George Harrison wins best guitar solo is the year, you know, that list is shot (laughs) because, (laughs) because that's not what the list is for, you know, I mean, sure. His like, there, there are a couple of really great ones and they are virtuosic in their own way, but that's not what we mean. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. You know? a, a, a blizzard, blizzard of notes. You know, that's ultimately right. when, you know, that's what people assume with that. But yeah, and I, I think his versatility too as a musician was was uh, something to be envied. Um, yeah, and he's because, I, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, no, yeah. I mean, he because he has this tremendous breadth of knowledge about music and and composing and and whatnot. That uh, and he's constantly switching from. Uh, guitar to some to uh, some kind of keyboard or or but I really I forget the, the name of the instrument but there's like a keyboard that um, basically he's got um, like this string tied to his finger as he's hitting a note that and gives more of like kind of a, like a I wouldn't say violin kind of sound but a little more like legato <laughs> vibe to it like things like that you know just like or or sometimes he's just playing with his his uh, modular synth where he's just doing patch chords in a in a big uh, sequencer or something like that. So you know, kind of thinking outside the box and just what's what's the song calling for as opposed to what can I do on my guitar? You know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's a that's a cool angle. I I um I heard this is sort of like a one step remove thing because I heard from another podcast some you know good gearhead dudes talking about his signature strat but also about the fact that when radiohead started getting into that type of music he was essentially felt like forced to not not forced like it was the bad thing it was just like he just sort of like woke up and he was like, oh, the band's going in this direction and they're not calling for the traditional guitar stuff. Because like the Benz, actually, personally, the Benz is my favorite album of theirs. Uh, and it's so much more traditional in terms of the sounds. And and that's not necessarily why I like it. I just I guess I just had a stronger connection with it. But um, it was so much more traditional in terms of like the role of the guitar in the band. Sure. Yeah. But he really like when I think when the band started going in the, the, that new direction, he, it, there was a point of realization for him where he was like, well, if I want to continue to be in this band, I think I better adapt. And, but no one dove in like he did, you know, he's sort of like a modern day. I would say he's not, I don't even know, like it may, maybe like under, it's sort of like sound bitey and underselling it to say he's a modern day edge in a way. Um, but 
but I get that kind of vibe from him. Like he's like, instead of saying modern day, like I would even say he's like a more evolved version in a way. Like if the edge kept evolving, it would be Greenwood, you know? Yeah. And I think the combination between him and, and Ed O'Brien also, I think Ed O'Brien has, has a lot more, that was the other guitarist in Radiohead. Oh yeah. I don't Um, know him. Yeah. I think he's got a lot more, uh, uh, I wouldn't say edge influence, but um, like a lot of the lines that you may think that is, are Johnny Greenwood probably coming from edge, like a lot of the sustaining things and, and oh. more ethereal stuff. Um, have, have you heard the smile, the the trio that, that he's doing with uh, Tom York now? Not not Ed, uh, Johnny. No. Oh man, they're pretty dope. Um, so. Really? Yeah, so this will go. This will send you down a rabbit hole. So there's a, a band called The Smile. Tom York's playing bass and guitar sometimes and keyboards. Uh, mm-hmm. Johnny Greenwood is playing guitar. He's playing a Les Paul the whole like ninety percent of the shows these days, mm-hmm. um, and he's playing bass as well. Uh, so they're alternating. And then there's a drummer from a band called Sons of Kesmint, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. This band's also pretty rad, um, Sons of Kesmint. It's basically like two two drummers, um, I think a tuba player and then a saxophone player. <laughs> and it just it sounds like 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 this like gypsy music, if you will. But there's like mm-hmm. like a like a uh, I wouldn't say Afro Cuban vibe thrown in, but um, yeah. That, anyway, go. So the drummer from one of the drummers from that band. So it's, it's kind of like a power trio, if you will, but. Mm-hmm. Um, or Radiohead light. So it's very much taking off like Radiohead stuff, but it just, it's, it's more visceral and more immediate, you know, mm. it's not like, like as brainy and, and as droney as some of the latter Radiohead records where they were going, you know, like mm-hmm. more like, like, so, and there's one song, I, I, I've got a laundry list of things to send you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I do when I do these podcasts, I listen back and I make the show notes, which yeah. is basically me like recapping it. And all this stuff is going to go in the show notes. So everything you say, you don't need to make a list. You just need to say it out loud on the podcast. <laughs> then it goes down in awesome. history. I, yeah, I'll, I'll never remember. But um, thin thin thing is is the song from the smile that that um, mm. uh, he's doing like this deceptively uh simple or deceptively difficult simple i'm not sure um like guitar line but he's got this delay on there that makes it sound uh infinitely cooler and mm-hmm. it's just like it's it's like a weird kind of slapback that you know you play one note and you have this like rhythm that's that's repeating after it but I remember listening to the song, like, wow, that's so such a sick guitar line. And then when you go see like how like YouTube tutorials and stuff, you're like, that's it. <laughs> but <laughs> but how the delay? So this might be d- d- uh, coming back around to your Edge comment of like Edge would play you know some some simple lick, but the way his delay was set up made it sound like he was playing this like uh, uh, tremendously more complicated thing. You know? Yeah. But meanwhile, mm-hmm. just. Didn't, 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 and all of a sudden it sounds like this cacophony of delayed guitar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Yeah, I love that stuff. I, I um, actually sort of like, I, I have a lot of respect for, um, for people who like dig into the, um, dig into, um, dig into effects and use effects almost like an instrument. 
Do you know um, Blake Wyland at the Tone Mob? No, no, no. Yeah, that's his deal. Like, and that's and he's like super into effects pedals. The Tone Mob is a podcast effects pedals. It's been going on so long that they don't really talk. He does a lot of interviews, and he sort of. I guess he's sort of plugged into like a new metal scene. So he does a lot of interviews and they tend to be, they tend to lean new metal. You know, I, I like, if he heard me say this, he would be like, no, it's not new metal. It's some specific, you know, genre, subgenre or something. Sure. But, um, so it tends to lean that way, but on the one hand, but on the other hand, um, his, his passion is pedals and, uh, and he does stuff like that too. Like he's, he's all about, you know, rather than playing the guitar, it's like, oh, the guitar is just the trigger for these pedals. And I don't know how plugged into the pedal in pedal like world you are now, but there are pedals now. There are guitar pedals that are like, you know, like they're, they, they are themselves works of art in a way like the the way that they build um you know whether they're digital or whether they're analog either way like the way they build like sonic um phenomena that that just can be that's like tweaked so that it's triggered by a guitar like most effectively essentially there are people like i mean it's a rabbit hole in fact oh yeah I've gone those, down those rabbit holes. I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. There's yeah. a, a channel called Knobs that I love on, on YouTube. <laughs> exactly. Where this guy just, yeah, exactly, does these these um, these brilliant demos of, of these crazy pedals. You're right. It's, 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 it's a really good time to be uh, a fan of guitar pedals because uh, yeah. there's so many cool, unique things. So the last thing I got that blew my mind was this uh, a pedal called the Red Panda Particle 2. Yeah. And it's a granular delay that uh-huh. uh it's got like six knobs on it and you could set four presets however uh if you have a usb cable <laughs> you hook up a US- usb cable to the pedal open uh-huh. up a web browser and it unlocks like a good another 20 some odd parameters that you can manipulate well wow. uh yeah and it's uh it like i said it's a pretty trippy granular delay that's got everything from like pitch shifting and all sorts of like funky stuff to just um like take, the, taking little bits of like what you played and regurgitating and making this like really crazy psychedelic uh, cacophony of sound. So um, yeah, ba- barely scratch the surface, like spending a, a couple hours in the afternoon having it plugged into my computer and making these <laughs> presets. Um, yeah, so uh, you're right, man. And Chase, uh, I think Chase. Chase Audio Bliss. Isn't... Chase Bliss, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. like there's like dip switches on the back of that thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. I, that's a good, good time. I, I have gone, I have reverted back to like, you know, the, I have, I have gone backwards like and become like a guitar infant again. I have a pedal board with my, you know, handful of favorite pedals. And lately I've been carrying around a boss ME 80, which is the multi effects processor the number 80 one yeah which is essentially like the big black one that has like the the um it comes with uh like four banks with a bunch of digital um 
and, and admittedly pretty crappy sounds. Most of the modulation effects are actually pretty good sounding, but some of them are not tweakable to the extent that you would want. But you know, what do you want? It's a multi-effects processor. And then the um and then it has the um the expression pedal. So you get a wah, you get volume, you get um whammy, I think. Into you get like a couple of whammies, like you get like up an octave, up two octaves, down an octave, down two octaves, and maybe one other mm-hmm. thing. Um, and I've just been, I just like got sick of like having to learn different pedals. And I also got sick of carrying my pedal board around. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> I'm just going to be doing this. And you know, what's hilarious is that actually it doesn't sound bad. It's just like the, the things that are on it that sound the worst are actually the distortions. Um, they just sound digital and they just, they just have this um raspiness to them that is just really unpleasant sure so i only use i don't use the distortion channel at all i use there's a boost so the least amount of gain you can get on the distortion channel is just a boost which just makes your sound slightly gritty which is tall mm-hmm. which is actually tolerable and then what i use for high gain sound is actually the, you know the Cosm effects, Boss's Cosm series of effects, which is basically like their early, it's like or very early amp modeling um, software. Yeah, yeah, I'm familiar with that. Yeah, I use that for my high gain and I use their Marshall. So I just have to like be careful which button I press because you have the four buttons and then you have four top buttons and I just hit the top button. You have to just remember like it's not laid out it's not laid out perfectly because the way it's laid out they want you to use the distortion channel for distortion um so i just have to remember that my distortion is like on the top button not the bottom button um but i've been using it in jam sessions and things and no one notices or seems to care and i've actually made a bunch of recordings and everyone's like ah you know it actually doesn't sound too bad it's like holy okay i'm going with this thing it's one cable it's one button to turn on. It's all there. It's actually really lightweight. It costs 200 bucks and they you can buy them all day for 200 bucks on Reverb. Like mm. if you break it, you can just buy like five more in like an afternoon. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> there must be a million of them. People must be using them as doorstops or like, you know, or like floor mats or something cuz they're just everywhere. Yeah, throughout my pedal history, I was never, never a fan of like those multi. Uh, no, they units. suck. Yeah, <laughs> they, they suck. They're good, at, they're good at two things. Probably, I think chorus was always like uh, one of those things that sounded good through those through there. Right. And then you, uh, your delay, obviously, if you're gonna have a digital delay, then easy to you know make that. Sound yeah, good. yeah, the stuff um, that's natively that's like you're used to hearing a digital version of it is the di- the thing that works in a digital pedal. Sure. No one likes digital distortion. <laughs> I mean, it's just, you know, everybody agrees it sucks. It's awful sounding. But they've come a long way on that, though. Right? Like, all this, um, I remember there was a company called Johnson, like maybe in the late 90s, early aughts, that was starting uh, uh, kind of, they, they were, they were the, the first ones to kind of get into like amp modeling, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and they had like an all-in-one amplifier that uh, that you know you go cycle through all these presets and hey that's a, a twin reverb or hey that's a Marshall Plexi or something you know and mm -hmm. um, they're pretty close to it and then that stuff died and everybody died and went away and or Line Six kind of maybe came up uh, and took their place mm -hmm. um, and then lately I've been seeing like the the fractal. Um, yeah. Uh, systems like a, like a, in a lot of different places like people have no cabs on on stage or anything and they basically just have like a fractal head somewhere in the back and yep that's their whole sound so i think amp modulation or, or emulation is good it's come a, a long way and you know obviously you get what you pay for so if you're paying a couple of grand for a digital head then it should sound like pretty close to your message yeah. boogie or something you know <laughs> so have you have, have you heard the um the uh oh god the tone master the fender tone master series they so yeah yeah, yeah i mean <laughs> I, I actually haven't heard them like heard them myself um uh like in a room or anything but i'm taking the word of of like a couple of you know you know the the usual suspects of like guitar gear uh you know influencers or whatever you want to call them um that they are you can't you actually just can't tell <laughs> and they are 100 percent digital and you're wow. you're basically buying like a twin or a base i don't know remember which ones they which one i know they have a twin a fender twin mm -hmm. i don't know what other versions of fender amps come in the tone master series i can't quite rem i can't remember the other ones but um you're getting like you're basically getting that you, you no one can tell not like professional sound people can't tell and um and it weighs like nothing <laughs> it's like not like having to lug a twin around you know yeah right exactly like, those things are heavy as hell yeah Listen, like certainly i'm playing through that like marshall jcm 900 uh combo 112 amp yeah um, that's a tube and, right yeah and it's and that's yeah. heavy, heavy as hell man even that one is <laughs> yeah and that's and that's um a good deal smaller than a twin, no? Yeah, because it's, well, it's one less speaker. It's, exactly, yeah. yeah. So, is it a one twelve? It's a one twelve. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's heavy as hell. It's dense as stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so, so this was amazing. I love. Obviously, we can chat about guitar stuff all night long. Sure. Um, but let's call it. Uh, let's call it a night, and let's um let's sign off do you have anything to plug um no i've just got this uh quartet brewing we're supposed to try to get this recording going on mid-january oh good um, what's yeah, the name of it so, uh no i don't really have a name yet but yeah but you're gonna record in january i think so yeah is this um, the one you told me about like um you know a few months ago maybe yeah, yeah, I've been playing with these cats for a couple of years now, so we're we're looking to do that. And it's your music. Yeah, it's a culmination of things, bits and pieces of stuff that going back probably twenty years ago. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> like, hey, you know, like, you got to do it, man. Well, it's just stuff that never ever got uh, played. Of day. <laughs> yeah, and never it never got played with the the proper personnel, if you will. You know, so yeah, I hear you. Yeah. So, that's cool i'm uh, psyched so what do you are you yeah. gonna do a record or or what yeah we've got 10 songs um we're we're kind of like i think 
seven of which have lyrics uh and we kind of have a bit of a, a zany concept if you will <laughs> what's what's the concept okay um <laughs> uh, all right yeah here we go so um so it takes place in a dystopian future okay uh, where um essentially it kind of picture like wally if you will where the yep. earth is, st- is starting to get like completely trashed and right. uh we 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 are fit we are we figured not figured out our problem uh our solution to the trash problem but um one way of, of uh, resolving it is we send spaceships full of garbage into the sun right but okay, to, pilot, yeah. to pilot these spaceships um we uh genetically engineer monkeys uh to be able to be smarter and evolve a little bit but just beyond the point of like you know planet of the apes kind of vibe right um uh-huh. how, so one one is one monkey is on on his way into the into the sun and uh and they're all one-way trips so i don't know really how that, that works out but um right so but however he he evolves past the point of uh uh all his compatriots and all the the comrade fallen comrades before him and he he figures out oh this doesn't have to be one way so he figures out a way to get back to to earth uh, and basically, the record's going to end with him crashing back to to Earth. Mm. <laughs> I like that. No. Yeah, I love that. I I think that's like you know, like I I actually happen to really like like concept albums, and in a way, like I you know I love the idea of like just like having something be more I don't know theatrical in a sense, you know. Yeah, it's it's that, and um, I, I I I like when music doesn't take itself too seriously. I mean, the music is all like very like very minor key and and uh, uh, adventurous, if you will. And there's like um, I wouldn't say technical puppets, but like it, it's not like lighthearted. You know, it's not we're not writing pop yep. songs and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's but it's nice to have this like kind of undercurrent of like kind of a, a silly story at the background but there's mm-hmm. obviously a lot of commentary things like uh you know the the um the unsustainable uh 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 consumerism that that uh, we're doing and trashing the planet so like you know there's an e- ecological uh, uh bent to it right um you know and there's there's a bit of the heartfelt moments of uh like one of the hooks of a chorus is like, um, this assignment doesn't have to be one way, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so that yeah, kind like of thing. That. So, you know? um, yeah, I, I don't know. And, and just kind of like an out, and also, uh, you know, kind of uh, what, what we're doing to uh, wildlife on this planet as well, you know, that we think that we can just go and do whatever we want, but uh, uh, without any kind of repercussions or thoughts who, uh, these other these creatures that we're sharing this planet with you know <laughs> so right right um you know, not, this is a bit pardon well not to mention the fact that you know like you, there's also people may draw the parallels like we are the monkeys you know it's like how many people uh like have these quote-unquote quote-unquote assignments like even here on earth that are uh you know, not at not catastrophic, like they're literally flying into the sun, but are fund like are functionally catastrophic in that 
people are forced to like suffer, you know, either lower uh, standard of living and or people do suffer health consequences that, you know, are under the surface and that, you know, are ignored potentially. They're either, you know, not aware, fully aware of them or, or willfully ignored because like there's this feeling like, you know, we can't get out of it. Right. So like in a way, like where are the monkeys? You know, we haven't, have we really evolved if there's still suffering here? Like, you know, if people are like working themselves to death, you know, or something like that, you know, it's like, you know, it's, I, I feel like there's, you know, I would, I would see that monkey and be like, you know what? Like, yeah, fucking monkey. Like you and me, we're the same, you know? Like, so when this, <laughs> when this record, when this record comes out, you need to go on Reddit and you need to drop these fan theories. Cause that, that's, that's a good angle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I mean, you let me know when the record comes out and I will, I will do something like that. I actually think I have a sort of half a dream to do something similar. But I don't like who wrote all that. Who wrote the idea? Like, did you come up with the idea? Uh, well, yeah, you know, this is another thing that that was like, uh, uh, yeah, uh, me and a bunch of idiots, uh, <laughs> these, like, fan, fan, fantastic, <laughs> fantastical idea a long time ago. And yeah. Just, and just now, it's like, yeah, okay, remember that concept that we talked about? No, yeah. I don't remember it. And it's like, well, yeah. I did. I, it stuck with me for some reason. Um, yeah, so like, I love I, it. I would say I would say like ninety percent of the music's probably uh, me. I think yeah, one one of the song was written by uh, uh, the other guitarist. Um, it's all a collaborative thing. So what if, I'm not telling people you know what to play, but I would definitely assert myself as the musical director, if you will, of the, of the, yeah. of the band. You know, so sure. they, they turn to me if they're, they're like, "Oh, is that cool?" It's like, "Yeah, that's dope." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. So, um, yeah, so I'm I'm kind of jazzed about that, um, but that's kind of the only thing that I really have to plug. Cool. Yeah. So you know what? Just uh, when it comes out, just let me know. We'll, actually, you know, we'll listen to it. We'll check it out. We'll we can talk about it on the show, cool. and then um, I can blast it out to. Are you, you when it when when it quote unquote comes out? Is it going to be like everywhere? Bandcamp? Are you going to press stuff? Are you going to actually make physical of anything, or what's the plan? Mm, nah, probably probably no. Uh, no physical copies. We'll we'll keep it uh keep it all electronic and yeah. I mean it's intangible. Well, anything anymore? Yeah, unless you're unless I mean I I still think there's a, a real good contention for vinyl. Uh, yeah, but not that I'm a collector in any way. But I could totally uh, let's put it this way: if, if I had the space for it, I would totally be hoarding records. But uh, just <laughs> after amassing like you know something like 500 CDs, I swore to myself I'm not. I'm not buying another medium. You know? <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. I mean, I don't have the space either, but there is an, vinyl does have an allure. Um, but there, <laughs> there's a funny meme. It, it's like, what attracted me to vinyl is the expense and the, um, and the, uh, oh God, what was it? Uh, and the, um, like how much space it takes up. Uh, but there, it was like a one word. <laughs> like, I don't get the allure yeah. of like I don't get the allure of like of turning a record over. Um, yeah, to me, like I, I'm one of these guys that loves a record from top to like listening to records like as a whole, like top to bottom. Yeah. Um, so the thought of like having to like be interrupted in that and like going to like physically change this thing, it's like ooh, kind of a buzzkill to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it doesn't. I don't know. 
Yeah, I I um I feel like I like records, but uh to me it's kind of a novelty. I used to have a record collection. Um but my record player broke and I didn't replace it and then the records got fl- in a fl- got destroyed in a flood. Oh boy. So, you know, but it wasn't like actually, I mean, some of them were precious to my parents cuz they, they were my parents' records to begin with, many of them. Mm-hmm. I did a bunch of them. But then if you remember like the 90s, you could go to a garage sale and people would have bins of records and it was all 60s shit. Yeah. So, you know, I just had a lot of 60s shit because that's what people had and people were getting rid of their records and they didn't think they were worth anything. And I was buying like crates of records for a dollar or something. I was like, all right, now I have a record collection. But it was more of a novelty thing, I think, for me uh, at that time. But I don't know. I'm just waiting for the day that digital to catch up to that. You know, um, we've yeah. got 4K, 4K TVs and 8K, and you know, uh, all this expense putting into that, but we're still listening to MP3s. You know, but, <laughs> I, and yeah. that just that, that's that's the bandwidth uh, gap just needs to be split wide open. You know, once uh, once you find that faster internet speeds and stuff at their at their house, and and yeah. uh, you know, you can manage these big files and storage is getting so much smaller flash storage is next to nothing you know i mean you could have a, a basically like a little flash drive that's a terabyte these days so right uh, we're, we're on the cusp of it and, and people are, are recording stuff at tremendously high bit rates and, and resolutions and stuff so it's only a matter of time that that'll that stuff will, will catch up and surpass vinyl ultimately you know yeah, I'm worried if my ears wouldn't know the difference just because I, I don't know if I, first of all, I don't know if I physically can hear as well as I used to. That's number oh, one. For sure. Number yeah. two is I, I often, I'm not sure if I can really hear. I mean, I can tell a poor quality MP3, obviously, because yeah. sometimes an MP3 doesn't get coded properly and it's just, or it's just a shit coding or it's just a low quality coding and you can hear how shitty it is. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times MP3s sound pretty good to me, you know, yeah, like, I mean, like if I, I'm streaming I mean, just off of Apple music or something and it's, and I don't have the high, because they have a lot of high res stuff now, Apple music. And, and I assume Spotify and the rest of them also have the same access. Yeah. The only one I'm really, I think Apple music definitely does uh titles. Another one like that. That's they, they both. Oh, right. Like yeah. I forgot. Fidelity. Yeah. Um, but Spotify, I think it's just like, I think it caps at like 320 kilobytes per second which is good enough man you know <laughs> yeah but um i wouldn't even know to, yeah. <laughs> i wouldn't even know which would how many kilobytes would be like would be like you know good enough for me yeah it'd be an interesting like experiment one day just I think to... MP, npr had had that on their website can you tell the difference between a wave uh 320 256 and 128 uh yeah kilobyte per second mp3 like how how good is your hearing and um it's cool because they'll, they'll basically like play like a, a a kate bush song where she's singing a cappella and they'll do it like in a wave uh 320 256 and 128 yeah and uh yeah i mean it's a it's a it's a, it's a fun test yeah i would i would go check that out i bet there is I, whether npr still has that up or not i don't know but I bet there is now that you mentioned it, there probably is some, you know, site where they can you can you can either like just listen to different samples and or you can take a test. Right. Like they might have like a blind test 
All right, dude, I can talk to you all night, but um, (laughs) but uh, the only thing I'm thinking about is the fact that I have to go back and listen to this and didn't do the show notes, (laughs) which means like (laughs) I always like to keep them to an hour. Yeah, Um, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for uh, thanks for inviting me. Absolutely, man. I I thank you. Actually, this is you know, I mean, I need guests, and you know, you're an old friend, and and so you know that you're always welcome. And I actually, that's the whole point is that I wanted to get you on once just to do this, but um, I still want to do that uh, book club thing with you. So that'll be our next thing. So I will, now that we've gotten, we sort of like, you know, pop the cherry, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just wanted to say that um, now that we've done that, we can, um, uh, we can move on to the, the nitty gritty. Cool. Awesome, dude. Yeah. So good. Thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me. Pleasure chatting. Yeah, man. Have a good night. Later, dude. Later. Bye. See ya. Mm-hmm.